1: That's wise, W I S E dot com. Wise dot com.
2: Hello. Welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with my co hosts, Aaron Lammer, Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Hey, good day.
0: Nice to see you there, Max.
2: Nice to be seen, you guys. Nice to be seen.
0: I understand you taped an interview in person, which to me is such an extravagant and uh, anxiety-provoking uh, experience. <laughs> Who did you talk to? Well,
2: I'll tell you, Aaron. There's a, uh, there's a twist in this interview, uh, which I will not reveal now, but it does connect to anxiety. Hey, and uh, we try. It's an anxiety-ridden interview, uh, although with a very unanxious person, Sam Fergoso, who is the host of the Talk Easy podcast. It's an interview show. He talks to actors, musicians, writers. He has, over the last couple of years, started talking to politicians. Sam is 28, lives in L.A. He's been doing this for seven years. He started when he was 21. The show books absolutely incredible guests, like A-list, A-list, A-list people after- It
0: provokes my envy. Whoever is booking that show is doing a great job.
2: There's definitely a significant chunk of this interview where I'm just like,
0: how the fuck are you doing it, man?
2: (laughs) The answer is an incredible amount of persistence, but also part of the way that he gets these people to come on is that uh, he is just an incredibly, incredibly prepared and thoughtful interviewer. And as you guys know, Sometimes on this show, I like to talk to people about how they do interviews. And uh, while it was anxiety-inducing in ways that you will soon hear, it was also a real pleasure to talk to him about how he thinks about having these conversations, which is um, pretty profound, actually.
0: The show is produced in partnership with Vox Media. They help us out in all kinds of ways. So thanks to everyone over there at Vox. And
2: now here's Max with Sam Fergoso. Hi, Sam. Hi, Max. Welcome to the podcast. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for doing it, man. It's a uh, Sunday afternoon. I don't think I've taped on a Sunday in five years. Is that because you've professionalized? <laughs> it's a nine to five for you now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah? No, I, I play
3: basketball on Sundays.
2: Oh, I didn't know you were a basketball player. 1 to 3.30. I uh, I lost my basketball game, my Sunday basketball game in the pandemic.
3: It, oh, oh, I see. Uh, not Not... You actually don't have the game anymore, but you can still play if, yeah. if asked to play.
2: Yeah, but it, my, the game, which was a beautiful game that had been played in uh, Carroll Gardens for like 20 years. Oh, wow. Everyone would bring their kids, and uh, there was like a room off the court that we would fill with pads, and we called it the fun zone. <laughs> for the kids. And you just chuck your kids wow. in the fun zone and then play basketball on Sunday mornings. It was it was actually like my favorite thing. And then I, I look forward to it, which is why I don't podcast on Sundays. Yeah, all right. But if I'm going to have to, it's with you. It means
3: a lot. It means a lot coming from you.
2: Um, how do you like to start these things, Sam?
3: Um, I like to start them by doing the job that you're doing, which is uh, doing the interview.
2: <laughs> you you like to ask the questions,
0: not <laughs> yeah, I answer I like the questions?
3: Uh, yeah, I don't want to answer them, but I'm going to. Um, how do I start them? I try to get the small talk out pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I dive right in, because I usually don't have all the time in the world.
2: Do you have, like, the first question planned?
3: I have every question planned. Really? It's all scripted. No, it's not. Yes, it is. (laughs) Come on. I can show you the outlines.
2: You have the whole thing mapped?
3: Yeah, three acts and an epilogue. But I'll deviate. Sure. I, I mean, if someone goes a certain way, or I can tell from the jump, they don't want that. You know, I'll improvise.
2: How do you tell if they're not in for your Sometimes plan? they'll
3: say something like, I don't like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I mean, body language. Yeah, you just pick up on it? Yeah, I pick up on it. Do you know to bail early?
3: I haven't had to bail on a full plan in four or five years. You bail on, on bits and pieces of the plan. Uh huh. You can hear it when they answer a certain question a certain way, or there's something they're not talking about that I know they've talked about before that perhaps they don't want to today. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll push if I feel like I need to, but yeah, it's all planned. And you haven't had to
2: really... This is all planned too, right? Totally, yeah. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I got the whole outline right here. I never know what your process is. Well, we're talking about your process. Mm -hmm. I'm so curious about your process because my opinion is that you're very, very good at this. And I wonder a little bit about prep. So if you're going in with three acts and an epilogue, what do you try and do in the epilogue?
3: Well, I include an epilogue. It's really just my way of, like, extending the third act. Mm -hmm. But the third act usually is is the dismount. So it's the last 20 minutes where it has to go, like, you got to leave soon. You can't leave on an ellipsis. Uh So like I start kind of winding things down. This feels all very abstract the way I'm describing it.
2: No, no, no. I mean, not to me. Okay. You have to find some kind of closure final note. Yes. But you're saying you know when you walk in what you want that note to be? I
3: have like a few ideas Mm -hmm. of how things should end. In fact, I'm thinking about how this is going to end. Like I've already started to what, what I think we could do. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well, no, you're, you're, we're doing like a weird meta conversation, structure within the structure. But <laughs> I have a few buttons that I'm ready to use. But if those buttons don't actually align with what's happened for the last hour, uh huh. you know, then I got to find it. You're not going to press those buttons. In the room. Yeah, no, I won't do it.
2: Do you have a similar structure to the acts? Like, is it uh, childhood, the mm-hmm. work, and then...
3: Depends on the person. Usually the beginning goes, this is a new thing you have. I'm contractually obligated to talk about it, just out of respect for at least 10 minutes. Hopefully it's something I like that they've done. Sometimes it's not, but there's a new thing they have to kind of, you know, promote and put in the world.
2: How often do you guys keep that in?
3: The show is deeply edited. I think this is probably the thing that people don't think of when they think of the show.
2: Yeah, so the episodes are like an hour long.
3: Yeah, they're between like 45 and 58, mm-hmm. usually.
2: You don't want to cross that 60-minute barrier.
3: It, in, unless it's really good. And this is a general rule. If it's past an hour, it's one that we're like, it's worth it. It earned it. It earned it. Yeah. Yeah, There's the, the but it, that's hard to do. But we tape for like 90 minutes. So we're cutting sometimes half the thing.
2: I ask a little bit because yeah. I, I can't think of a ton of instances... That start with the like promotional tour we get pretty quick into the things that I'm interested in. does anyone ever react like that's a move, or do people come on now and they know what the deal is? I
3: don't know if they know what the deal is. I think sometimes they know what the deal is. It's really helpful when people come on and they've listened yeah, because then I don't have to I don't have to spend 20 minutes convincing them that this isn't like a colossal waste of their time
2: mm-hmm.
3: But I still usually have to do that.
2: When you have to do that, what does it look like to convince them?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Basically like demonstrate competence right away. Yeah. So it's gonna be a quote that they have. It's a thing that they did 28 years ago that like their mother barely remembers. Yeah. That way they know, like I've done the work to show up for you Mm -hmm. and I'm asking you to now show up with me together so the people
2: listening aren't bored to tears. That's my experience, too. Like, certainly when we were starting doing these interviews and people that just had no idea what it was. Who was the first guest? Matt Akins. Mm-hmm. But I remember, for a long time, actually, it would be really helpful. These writers would come on the show. They would have never heard it before. They'd have no idea. But yet they said yes for some reason. And I do want to ask you about how you get people to say yes. Yeah, okay. But... They would come on, and then I'd be like, you know, I read this Esquire story that you wrote in 91 that I found, like, in the archives at the library. Yes. And all of a sudden, they just sit up.
3: That's right. That's right. Because you went to the library. Yeah. I just believe in, like, going the extra mile. I I don't like wasting people's time. So I want to show that I went there for them. But I, I remember in the early episodes... um. I don't know. I think like you even convinced Renata Adler to do it, and, and she sounded game. And I think you demonstrated that you had read her work. You you went back into the archives. Oh, you're is,
2: talking about me. I thought you were going to talk about you. I
3: am going to talk about you because that is one of the early episodes of the show that you made that made me go, oh, I think I can do something like this. Oh, yeah? That was a huge one. The Liz Gilbert one that you did, a huge one. I took all kinds of things from from those and put them in the talk easy.
2: When did you start the show, 2016? Yeah, 2016. How long had you been wanting to do it before you started? I, I, the day before, I mean, really? yeah, I was not, I, I was doing interviews you didn't before like that. Did not have like a um, three act structure for your podcast career? The structure
3: remains only on mic. <laughs> once, once we're off, all bets are off.
2: <laughs> what does that mean?
3: I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't know about planning your life, especially work-wise. This whole industry is so precarious. I don't know how you could say in five years I'm going to be here. I think you have some aims, but mm-hmm. I was doing interviews before the podcast.
2: But it was different to say, "This is a show with yeah. me." Like uh, putting your name in the title is different than like you were freelancing. You were doing yes. interviews in print, right? So the,
3: the real the real way this came to be was that I was hired for reasons I still don't totally understand, to be the creative director of this art house theater in San Francisco called Uh the Roxy. Uh And their idea was, we're gonna hire a 20 year old to save like the oldest (laughs) institution, the oldest art house institution in California. It's like 88 years old. There's a photo of me on like the cover of the Chronicle or the art section of the Chronicle. I look like such a twerp. (laughs) Like I can't tell you. How embarrassing this was. So I was 28, 21, and I was doing the job, and then I realized five months into the job, I am not good at this job.
2: (laughs) What what gave you that idea?
3: Um, So one reason I knew I wasn't good at it was because my coworkers would sometimes say, you're not very good at this job.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, they didn't.
3: No, sometimes they did have some choice words. (laughs) But the point of the story is the one thing that I got to do besides program, movies, and host these events, which was really fun, was that I got to do Q&As on stage three times a night, five times a week.
2: It's a lot of interviews.
3: Yeah, and and in front of people in an audience where you're just... deeply embarrassing. Sometimes, like, no one shows up to the movie. Yeah. But the director has come, like, from out of state. <laughs> and you got to be like, we tried.
2: Did you still do the Q&As? Of course. Yeah. Like, did you ever do a Q&A to a truly empty room? I did a live show in South
3: by Southwest to three people Aww. with Janixa Bravo. And uh, it was... Horrifying. Oh, man. It was eight a.m. on like a Saturday.
2: Oh, oh. <laughs> Makes my stomach hurt. It was so
3: bad. It was so bad. Oh. But anyway, so I figured I liked that, though. Yeah. You know, when I preferred when people were there to mm-hmm. be clear. Mm-hmm. But I I liked doing it. I, I thought, oh, I can. I think I could do it on mic. Mm-hmm. I had done a lot of interviews um, in print before that, which had gone pretty well. Yeah. But I saw that the print journalism was, it was just winnowing and winnowing and it was just, it wasn't gonna happen. I, I could see it.
2: So according to this story, you decided in one day that you were gonna do this and no, just suddenly. I mean, I maybe mean, it was like, no, I, I probably worked on it for a couple months
3: mm-hmm. before we launched it. But what the show was then, I don't think in any way resembles what it is now. I really don't. I Tell me about the differences. One, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> In fact, I was bad. I was sort of meandering, and my voice was really strange. But it, it, it's because I had like this, and I had, I had to have like deviated septum surgery, and I couldn't actually breathe out of my nose. Like it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. So I sound strange. I was 21. I didn't come prepared. I didn't know what I wanted. But there was something there. I think. I mean, I don't know. You've you believed in it long before most people did. So what the hell did you say?
2: I don't know. I, didn't, I don't think I heard any of the, you know, whatever your criticisms are, meandering or unprepared. You seemed very prepared to me. And, I mean, I guess the thing that I remember is, like, there was no question ever at any point listening to the early episodes that you gave a shit. Like, you really cared. And that, I think, is, like, a not insignificant part of anything in audio? Like, I just think it's almost impossible to fake that. But people keep
3: trying to over and over again. I mean, there's a reason there's shows that it's like grand opening, grand closing. This is like the one requirement.
2: I mean, I don't think there are a lot of examples of successful shows in which the person you're listening to didn't care. Yeah, I don't know any of those. Yeah, I don't think that works. And so that (coughs) also can mean that it works, even if you're still figuring out you know, some of the, like, moves you want to make or whatever. Yeah, I
3: gave a shit. Some Sometimes to a fault. What do you mean? What does that look like? I think desperate and, and uh... You know, that's part of the charm, though. <laughs> so, so you picked up on the desperation.
2: Well, I think there's, like, a combination of thirstiness and ambition. And so I'm surprised to hear you say, like, I, what was I trying to do? Because, to me, it felt ambitious.
3: Yeah. yeah I think that's probably right. What I mean is within the confines of the actual interview I didn't always know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what my aims were conversationally. Did I want the show to do well? Yeah, but of course I kind of had nothing else, man. Mm-hmm. Like I I put it on credit cards. I didn't have like money. I was broke. Yeah. So I was like doing these writing gigs to supplement <laughs> some kind of income. How are you making the show? Mostly by myself and mostly with people like volunteering to help for free, but I wasn't, yeah, I was in debt. So yeah, I gave a shit and, and some of that desperation probably came from like, wow, this credit card bill is really not good, I gotta figure something out. You know, and that took time, a lot of time.
2: When did you feel like you had it figured out?
3: I think in 2020, obviously when all of our lives were upended, I remember I had a conversation with with our producer and I was like why would we keep making this in a pandemic who cares mm-hmm. like we're going to have actors and directors and musicians on in this moment like to me I was like that, who needs that what is the utility of that mm-hmm. so I really thought like I think the show's done and then I think we found like what if we pivoted like what if what if we did have like Dr. Ja on to explain what was happening with covid what if we had noam chomsky on to explain the kind of like global capitalistic implications what what if we expanded the scope of what was very much a film tv focused show mm-hmm. and the moment we did that i remember as painful and crushing as the pandemic was especially to like work through it every week I remember thinking, like, oh, I think we figured this out. I think the show always needed to be, the scope needed to be, broadened. broadened. Yeah, yeah, broadened. And you know what? The moment we did that, I was like, we well, never going back. Like, oh. I, I'm never gonna go back to the show, where we have seven actors on in two months.
2: And did that feel, like, a stakes thing to you, or was that about your own my curiosity? own interest?
3: Yeah, my own interest. I wouldn't want to listen to, a show that's only. Film focused anymore. Uh If I don't want to listen to it, then I don't want to make it. So I just—I don't know. I just felt like if I'm not gonna, I think maybe that's the the question is the big aim. I probably like it's too grandiose, but I always go back to like Studs Terkel, Mm -hmm. and I think what's so amazing is like the wide array of subjects, Mm -hmm. and his interest in like the person driving the cab and James Baldwin. And the fact that you could hold all of that in, in one show, I don't know, that seems right to me. And I would love to do more things like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it's it's still, I would say, like, the minority of episodes are outside creative work.
3: Yeah, and and that's, that's kind of a booking problem. But, I mean, as in, I ask, they just say no. Like, yeah. I ask a lot of politicians to come on. Yeah. I, I, I've asked all kinds of people in all kinds of professions. We just get a lot of no's.
0: Support for long form this week comes from listening. If you find yourself behind the eight ball, needing to read a bunch of academic papers or journals or any kind of dense reading material, you might make your life a lot easier by checking out listening. It takes anything, articles, books, PDFs, and turns the text into spoken word that you can absorb no matter what you're doing. The app has a lifelike AI voices complete with emotion and intonation that creates a realistic and pleasant listening experience. So I had to go into the city for some meetings. I needed to review some PDFs, threw them in there, listen to them on the way. It was both pleasant. And I kind of forgot that I wasn't like listening to a
1: Join 16 million customers already using WISE worldwide. To learn more about how a WISE account could work for you, download the app or visit WISE.com. That's WISE, W-I-S-E.com, WISE.com.
2: Let's talk about booking for a second, because it, there are some things about your show that are not mysterious to me, like referencing an early work early on to get someone to pay attention. But the booking is mysterious. You've got amazing people. It seems like it's always amazing people. And that's been one of my experiences listening to the show for the last couple of years. I'm just like, damn, that guy, that guy's like the biggest movie star in the world coming on to talk about his feelings for an hour. (laughs) Like, that doesn't seem like things that those people do. How are you getting these insanely famous and very often incredibly reticent people oh. to come on and talk to you in this way? Um, I'm trying to think reticent.
3: Who is reticent? Yeah, maybe some of them are reticent.
2: I don't know. I think there's a lot of people who have come on the show who have talked to you in a way that they do not otherwise talk publicly. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah, I think that is true. So how do you get them? What does booking look like? And like, actually, like, in a kind of technical way, how in do you In a
3: technical it? way. <sighs> okay, so I feel like I'm asked this, like, every week, but, but usually not in a like kind way that you're doing more in a but really, like what do you do? like <laughs> hey, like have you like slept with people? like are you prostituting yourself? What's happening? Yeah, it's like Sam
2: have you paying these people what's going on and here?
3: then and then the, then it's like you're your family, like okay, who's your f- I'm like, well, my dad, he is it's true. My dad is a middle school teacher <laughs> in inner city Chicago. From I, mean, Mexico. Yeah, start, I mean the connections yeah, I mean, the connections are a, a plenty, yeah. So with all of that help, booking's hard. I I I think the real answer is well, we ask a lot. Mm-hmm. We ask a lot often. And you ask
2: a lot of people often, <laughs> or you ask the same people a lot. Both. Both.
3: Though less so on the first. Now we don't. We don't ask as many people as we used to. Just because we have fifty-two episodes a year and we're pitched a lot more than we used to get pitched. We used to like never get pitched, and then that that radically changed, probably probably like two years ago. But I'm thinking back on the episodes of last year, it's like Margaret Atwood, David Byrne, Questlove. Yeah. Yeah, I've been asking them for four years, (laughs) every year on the dial. That's your rhythm once a year? No, I mean, sometimes more you know, you don't want to ask really more than two or three times a year. But that's that's what I would do for a long time. And we still do it like that. We just don't let go. What do those follow-up asks look like? I do probably approach it a little bit like a case, which is like we're, we're, we're making the case. Mm-hmm. And the case is we have mutual people who've come on the show that they've either worked with or I know that they respect. And the third thing is we have enough testimonials now from people that are like, this show's pretty good. And if my words in an email fall short, then I think we just defer to other people's words.
2: You literally send like Sometimes.
3: testimonials? Sometimes, yeah. Because f- fuck my email, who
2: cares? It's Do much... you call in favors?
3: Um, Maybe two or three times a year. Uh-huh. If, if I, but I'm really bad at asking for them. It makes me very anxious. I mean, I asked you for help on one and, and you helped. What was that Anna sale? Oh yeah. Um, that was early early it early. Was early. Yeah, I'm much better at like when you asked me for like some help when you're making your show, 70 over 70. Yeah, I was like, great. if I like the person, like take it. like I don't care. I'm just not so good at asking for that and I feel anxious and a little like I don't want people to think I'm using them. And I don't know, I don't like that whole deal. But what I've found is that the moment you ask for help, if the person likes you, they're happy to do it. But the process is an ordeal and painstaking. How much time of yours does that take? Well, thankfully, our team, Caroline Reebok, who's the lead producer, and uh, Caitlin Dryden, the associate producer, are doing more of the asking. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to do it as much, but I'm still on the emails and I still have to... Sometimes, like, try to bully people into doing it, which I don't like to do. I don't know. I just, I believe in the show. And I know if, like, energetically I'm going to get along with someone or if it's work that I really respect, I know, I know it's not going to be a waste of their time. Yeah. So that alleviates some of my anxiety about asking again because what I'm asking for is a thing that's going to be good. I know that. So I don't know, to me it's like it's not about me, it's about the, it's about the work. So I, I can kind of separate it, the, the shame of, that I may feel. You do almost
2: always talk to people who you love in some way. Like people whose work you respect. I can't think of any episodes where it was someone that you didn't seem to hold in high regard. Mm. In one way or another. Does that sound right or, or no? Yeah, I think I I fall in love in the process of
3: research. Mm-hmm. So like the week that I'm diving into their work, I'm so like enveloped that I find something to love. Yeah. about About everyone that comes on.
2: And have you ever had the experience that the thing you found in the research didn't show up in the room? Absolutely. And then something else showed up in the room. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh right, that didn't
3: that didn't translate on the page, <laughs> that wasn't in the New York Times profile, but you find something else to love. Yeah, I mean, love maybe is a little strong. I sure. Mean, I, that I that I think is worth rallying around, that is worth standing behind and, and platforming. Yeah, I think so. But I'm also that's also the selection process of the show. Right. Like. We say no to things, maybe we some, sometimes shouldn't say no to, that I just can't see will be a good hour. You can't find it. I, in my head, I'm like, I don't like the things they've made. Yeah. They seem like nice people. They may be really famous, but fame is not interesting on its own. At least to me. It's almost never what you talk about. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't really care. And I don't know how in 2023, as like... We have a kind of like fractured economy that could at any moment implode and is maybe already imploding. How anyone would want to make a show squarely, solely about rich people? At least I, I just don't, I didn't come up that way. So I, I think I feel like, well, we're not going to do an hour on like what's it like to, you know, have to own those three homes? <laughs> what's it like to be famous?
2: I, you know. But I mean, It is also the case that lots of people that you talk to have three homes. Absolutely.
3: So I try to tap into the person usually before they bought those homes. Mm -hmm. I try to stay with the kernel of the thing that got them in this work in the first place and to tap back into that. Sometimes, you know, their hearts have been so calcified that like you can't. Yeah. But maybe I'm just like talking myself into it now, but that's the approach. The approach is to help them tap back into that. Yeah, I mean, it's easier if they have just made a piece of art that we can both be like, good stuff. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like David Sedaris came on. David Sedaris has written a lot of books. You know, when you do anything a lot, it's not always great. He's a genius. I really liked his last book. It made it really easy for me to be like, great, we can talk about everything. But if someone has made something that I don't really it's hard for me to fake it i'm not a good I'm not a good liar. Do you ever kill episodes? No, I mean there's been a couple that I would like to, but we couldn't yeah,
2: because we needed to put on an episode right and did those just not quite reach that place? <laughs> not only
3: did they not reach that place they they reached No place. Uh, Sometimes they they don't go anywhere. And someone's in such a bad mood that there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Especially over Zoom in the pandemic where we had a couple that you're just like, they do not want to be here. And you're like, well,
2: why did you say yes to this? (laughs) (laughs) I know that feeling, though, of like you show up particularly on Zoom and it's just like either this is going to be really hard yeah, or not get there. Do you connect with people like that in the rest of your life?
3: Yes. Yes.
2: But I have to, I've learned
3: to, like sometimes close the door on that part of me because I found myself getting to the end of a day just exhausted, like emotionally so spent because I, I am that person like, if I'm in an Uber, I really don't want to talk. But if they start talking, like it's over, it's over. Like I'm getting the life story. Last, like last night, I had it. I didn't want to talk, but then you know, 20 minutes in, I'm like, great. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing about these two kids that have arranged marriages, and and they're, you know, they're telling me about the process of selecting a partner, and I'm hearing about all these things, and I thought. It's fun, I didn't want to do it, but I'm so glad I did. But I've learned to try to curtail some of that because, um it leaves me worn down.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're uh, it's tiring to live in that place with everyone.
3: Yeah, but I want to because I'm curious, but sometimes it just hey, you run out of gas.
2: How do you think these interviews you do interact with therapy?
3: We've received emails from therapists that say they hear an influence or, or they say like "Who did you go to therapy with uh-huh. i so i've 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 heard that a lot, but I guess I may be a little reluctant because I don't want the show to be like <laughs> i don't know armchair therapy, yeah, you know and i and i'm and I'm not a therapist, and I cannot advise <laughs> right." <laughs> you know, I. I you're not licensed to practice. No, but I can advise a seek counsel, and I, I, I tell every guest, I really, <laughs> get go back, go back to the room. No, I don't know, man. I,
2: I. I don't know. I mean, it just has, it has some crossover with it because it's like you're starting in people's early childhood, and I, I mean, it, it's like a form of creative therapy, which is like trying to figure out what's driving them yes. on some level.
3: I'm good at finding, the inflection points. Mm-hmm. That's basically the whole show is, and you see it in the structure and the outlining, like. This happens, then this happens. But like, here's the thing that they don't want to talk about. But I think if we can get there and they trust me by then, yeah, we'll dive in. But I, it's funny because people are always like, "Who does the research for the show?" And we just started having someone help me, like, do a preliminary, like, brief. Yeah, it starts in a brief form, which is like ten thousand words, organized like chronologically. That's like. If Max like went to the bathroom in eighth grade, like right. I know about this. Right. Everything that's like, that's public record. But what we found when we had people try to help is that they don't totally know what they're looking for. Uh huh. So there's something, I don't know, I guess I have some like, oh, that's gonna be, I don't know, I can always see it pretty far down the road.
2: You can see those inflection points. Yes, yeah, sometimes they're obvious. And then you're just kind of putting people in conversation with those moments. I'm trying to build a
3: story. I always equate it to, okay, it's like we're, we're on a road trip, uh-huh. you know, actually, no road trip. This is a short road trip. We're on an hour long drive. I own the car. <laughs> I'm sitting in the passenger seat, but I am doing the maps. Like I, I'm doing GPS, but they're driving.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So at some point, if the guest is like, yeah, fuck your map. Like, I'm not doing it. Right. I'm taking a left here. I know this way from childhood. Don't tell me how to, then I'll okay, great. Well, there you're you driving. But it's my car and I do have like some idea of where we're trying to go. But sometimes, you know, they'll take the scenic route. Right. As I just did with that answer.
2: But you know where you gotta get to at the end of the hour.
3: I'm trying to, I'm try- I mean, I have some ideas.
2: Is there something you're trying to figure out in the show?
3: I was, you know, it's funny. I was thinking, I was trying to figure out what you're, what you're trying to figure out right now. You got a theory? No, no, no. I'm more thinking about where you're at right now. Like inflection point wise? (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. And I don't know. I can't, I can't tell. I can't tell if you're having fun and I have a lot of like, I want to make sure you're having a good time, but also it's like, I'm not the host.
2: Oh, I'm having a great time.
3: Okay. I want to also make sure, like, I'm I'm answering your questions honestly and and concisely, but I feel like I'm meandering.
2: Oh, I don't think so. I think you're doing great.
3: Okay. Am I being weird? No, I don't know what's going on with you. I can't. I just can't tell. <laughs> but I also don't know you.
2: <laughs> well, something's going on though. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna tell you. Okay. What? Well, <laughs> I was faced with an interviewer dilemma before we did this. Okay. And I was going to tell you this at the end, uh huh. but I feel like, whoa, I feel like you're picking up on it. Yes. So I'm going to tell you. Okay. But it's going to change the course of the interview.
3: Yeah. But it was already guiding the interview because I felt it the whole time. Okay.
2: Well, we'll
3: see where it goes. Now you're, as the first time you're sitting even proper, <laughs> like you moved the direction of your body towards me now. All right.
2: I'm just going to tell you, man. I'm just okay. going to tell you. Okay. We're talking on a Sunday afternoon. Before this, I was up in my parents' house with my kids and my wife, and uh we had lunch and um my parents have like a uh have a freezer and they keep like the sweet stuff in the freezer so we had lunch and then, as I've been doing since I was i don't know fifteen years old, i uh reached in the freezer grabbed some uh some sweet stuff and uh we hit the road and my family was uh in the car with me, I was driving. They're going to drop me off here. We're at the uh, office doing this in the okay. studio. And I got like on the FDR and I started feeling pretty weird, like really hot. Oh. And I was like, <sighs> I'm wearing like two sweaters or something. Like something felt bad, you know, yeah. like super hot. Cause I was also having like, a great time talking to Meredith. Like we were just like really joking around. I was having a great time, but it felt like physically very weird. That's your wife. That's my wife. Yeah. Okay. And then, like, by the time we got over the bridge, I was like, something's not great. (laughs) Like, something is wrong, I think. And I was like, am I, like, having a fucking heart attack or something? What the fuck is happening? Like, I don't know. I just felt super weird. Yeah. Super weird. And then I came up here to start setting up the interview. And I was like, wait a second. I'm not having a heart attack. I've felt this feeling before and I called my father and I was like, Hey, is there any chance that you have weed chocolates in the freezer? And he goes, Oh my God, the little round things, the little round things. And I was like, yeah, man, I ate a bunch of those little round things. And he was like, Max, Oh my God. Oh my God. Last night, I ate like five of those things. I was up all night. I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't even tell your mother because I was having thoughts I'd never had before. My mind was racing a mile a minute. And the story of what is going on with me. Finally. Is that I ate a bunch of weed chocolate, (laughs) like a lot, too much. Oh, man. Like a couple hours ago. That makes so much more sense. And my dad got me real stoned. That's the point, but he didn't know his wheat chocolate either.
3: I love this, and it's the first time that you have been the Max that I, I know and love in this conversation. Oh, come on! No, yeah, you got animated, you got you sat up straight, you you, you like were making eye contact. You <gasps> well, and, I had I, I, and, and your anxiety just I just saw it. Just thank God you're telling me this because you've been acting kind of weird,
2: a little weird, yes.
3: And I'm like, what you're, they, I, you're very sociable, you're, you're a handsome guy.
2: I, voice. Uh, I've been feeling real weird, but I felt like it was kind of fucked up. So one option, this is the interviewer dilemma, right? Yes. All right. So I realized this was happening. You should have laughed with it. Well, that was my first instinct. But then I felt like that was like, kind of disrespectful to you because it, it, you and I have been in touch for a long time. Yes. And I knew that probably on some level you were like psyched to do this. Of course. Yeah. And that it would be shitty to be like, all right, man, let's do the Let's do your interview. Except I'm going to start by telling you I'm ridiculously high So on accident. I, I, just
3: want to, I want to be clear. So the alternative was you're going to do the interview in a way that's like 65% normal max.
2: <laughs> I, was trying, I was trying to go for 100.
3: Of course you're trying to go for 100. But when you're high, no, no one even knows what 100 is at that point. And, and instead, you're going to be kind of anxious and a little strange. And I'm going to pick up on that and absorb it knowing that something was off. I honestly was like, I don't think he wants to be here. And you oh. know, no, 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 of course you don't want, yeah, you don't want to be here like this. Like this is not your ideal scenario where you're high on a podcast.
2: Definitely not, no, this yes. is not my preference. Yes,
3: thankfully, you know, you're doing it with me, you know, and not, you know, some other people that that would be harder to, Like um, they, they, they wouldn't like it. They would be mad probably.
2: Well, that's the thing. I wasn't. I didn't think you'd be mad. I just thought it would be like disrespectful, you know. I think it would. I
3: thought it, I. I would have respected the honesty, and uh, I mean, I am 28. I'm. I'm familiar with, with weed gummies. I mean, I'm retired from them, but, that's so funny. Wow, you keep asking me like, why do. People who are, historically reticent, come on the show and suddenly seem like something that approximates themselves. Mm-hmm. It's because of this exact thing. Like I can't sit with someone like if something's weird in the first 10 minutes, I'm going to say to
2: them this hey, feels weird. Hey, like what's going on? Yeah. Like what like yeah. I do not want to do it with you cuz it's your show. Yeah, totally. No, that would have been a very tough thing to do. Although then we would have gotten to the story earlier. <laughs> Definitely. But but you <laughs> oh, you it, you, so you made it clear like you don't get to
3: ask me questions and this is my program, and I thought, okay, well, then. Well, uh, I still
2: kind of feel that way.
3: Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But I wasn't going to – I
2: didn't know what to say. So I was just trying to roll with it. Yeah. Well, I feel better having it out in the open, though. <laughs> Me too. Well, here's my question for you. This is my – Okay. I don't have a three-act structure. I don't have an epilogue. I do have a question, which is probably a version of the question I've been asking you over and over again. Okay. Which is about your ability – to connect with people in what is a kind of strange environment, right? Like sitting in a studio with headphones and microphones and whether your big aim, the reason that you keep doing it is because that space that you find with people is intoxicating and beautiful. Oh, yeah. That's my question. Best high. Best high.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I haven't tried them all, but I feel, one, before them, I'm, like, sick. I I haven't left my house. I haven't seen people. Uh I've never gone out the night before taping. Never. Really?
2: Not once. Like, I haven't even gone to, like, go get some dinner?
3: Absolutely not. No shit. I I may go pick up dinner. Are you nervous? No, it's just that's not the work I'm interested in. I'm interested in committing we have an hour together, we may not have another. We're here for a brief moment and then uh, you know we die. And I want this thing to be as good as it can be. And if it's anything less than that, I'm just not interested, I'm just not. So my feeling is I can get dinner when the taping is done. There will be more dinners, there will not be another taping. There'll never be at least another uh, first taping. And that to me, is why you keep doing it cuz that moment and sometimes there's multiple moments but that feeling when you really feel like you've put someone's life on the record in a way that is beautiful and painful and idiosyncratic and triumphant and all all the things that make us us or make the person you know the person they are yeah like leaving that taping It's like when it goes well, it's like I lost 20 pounds. I am never a nicer or happier person than (laughs) immediately after a taping. Like I'm like kind of goofy and silly and delirious and grateful to be doing this. Like so fucking grateful. Does it ever feel like a scam? getting to do it. it? It would feel like a scam if I didn't work so hard and if my family didn't work so hard to get here to put me in some position to even kind of do work like this. To me, it's, yeah, like when you have a grandfather who like came here illegally and, you know, had to work like on the, you know, farms in Fresno like 18 hours You know, some part of you, especially when I like went to high school in Fresno and like I'm back there 50 years later, not far from where he had to do this terrible, terrible work, away from my grandmother and my, my dad, all this, you know. I feel like it's not a scam, but if I'm not grateful for it, if I can't acknowledge like holy, holy shit, this is incredible, then I'm an idiot. And to me, as much as I try to like chart my own course, I'm still, like, inextricably linked to the past, and it's because of that past that I feel, like, emboldened, but I also feel, like, indebted yeah. to do a great job. So, no, I won't, yeah, like, I won't go out, and I can't really eat before, and, I, yeah, just ang- anxious, anxious.
2: Yeah, I mean, does that <laughs> manifest as pressure?
3: Yeah, it is pressure, Yeah. But the guest does not know that. Mm-hmm. I let it go. like you don't, I, you don't leave with it. I have a ritual. You know, I do my things, and I. What's your ritual? Well, you know, I just like I meditate. You know, I I grew up playing basketball, and I do the kind of like jumping up and down, like get the blood pressure, like heart heart racing, and I just
2: kind of think to myself like, let it go. It's interesting that you brought up meditation because. My experience is that finding that gratitude is a practice. It does not come easily or always to me. Do you feel like you've had to practice it, or does it just? I I think you do have to practice it, like any good habit, like yeah. any good thing. It, it
3: it takes you know some maintenance. It may come easier to me than than other people, but I no, I've I've had to work on that. And by the way, there's plenty of times where I'm a jackass complaining about. The most trivial, banal, superficial, vain
2: things. Does that ever connect to the show? The complaining? The, no, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're describing like a pretty beautiful, zend out approach to how to do the work. Again, within the confines of the
3: tape, the thing is pure. Yeah. But what, what it takes to get that person to sit there, to get me to be prepared, is a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of ego, There's a lot of ego management that we do, that we have to do. And there's a lot of like, got to swallow your pride a lot. What does that look like? You know, being told no 90 times. (laughs) Right.
2: Writing people two to three times a year. Yeah.
3: Writing letters that are just met with like, sorry, they're unavailable. Okay, well, you know, I'll come back. But I don't care about no's, though. That's the thing. I I just don't. I'm undeterred by them.
2: So where does the, like, ego and pride swallowing show up?
3: When, you know, like, we've agreed to something that's like, okay, here's the taping, and it's an hour long. And then someone comes in, and they're like, actually, it's going to be 45 minutes. And you got to be like, no, it's going to be an hour. Or, you know, I work really hard to, to be ready for the taping. And then I sit down with the person, and the person is uh, not ready. I was gonna say high on edibles, but I didn't <laughs> want to do it to you.
1: <laughs> for example, for, for example. example.
3: But you nothing. Know, I I have so much love for you that i, I you can you could have been high on whatever, and I, I would've been fine. But yeah, I I'm undeterred by nose in that I'll keep coming back. But it hurts. It fucking it does hurt. Yeah, and it's embarrassing.
2: <sighs> well, like. All right, this is a pretty stone question. Okay. But, like, <laughs> I think part of what I'm asking about is the degree to which talking to people, connecting with people in the way that you do, I think what I'm asking about is, like, is that is that art for you?
3: I, I think it has to be. If it's not, then what the hell am I doing? I think so. It's artfully made. But <laughs> I'm
2: not talking about the way it's made, man. I'm talking about the thing that happens in the room.
3: Yeah, I think it's art. I'm I'm a little like reluctant to say that because I sound. I asked you. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to sound like uh, so uh, annoyingly pretentious. And right. I'm
2: like, this podcast is art, but I do let the record show that I said that it was art, <laughs> and I agree with and, you. And that Sam is simply agreeing with me.
3: <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it has to be. Otherwise, I'm just not interested. I do think there's something that happens
2: when it goes right. And do you think that that thing? is something you will want to be chasing forever or at some point oh. does the thing that you're searching for run out or do you find it you can't possibly
3: know when you're in love with something like anything you're not thinking wow like this is going to run out you may think it's possible of course you know love fades and all that but If you're playing the end, then, like, what the hell are you even doing? Like, you should just get out of the ring. Like, that doesn't work. But I think so long as I remain interested, interested in the work, interested in the people we're sitting with, interested in the show's, like, evolution, interested in the show getting better, I thank God it's gotten better, then I'll still want to do it. I don't think it's going to be my whole life. But I do think something works, and I don't know what that is, and I don't know if I can articulate it. And I think if I did articulate it, it may kind of, like, remove the magic. But some of it, something works, beyond the, like, not going out and being prepared and <laughs> yeah. being a weirdo.
2: There's something there.
3: There's something else. Yeah.
2: There's, like, a little magic thing.
3: Yeah. But I don't know. Is it forever?
2: I mean, what is? Sure. Sure. I guess another way of asking that in a more specific and journalistic career sense is like, is interviewing forever, is this like the medium in which you want to work?
3: It is right now. And I love it. So in five years, I'll have a different answer for you. But do you still want to make movies? Yeah. I don't know if people want to watch them anymore. But yeah.
2: Do you work on that? Do you think about that? Or is it all this?
3: No, I, I think about it, work on it less than I'd like. But things changed. I mean, now we're doing this show with the good people at Pushkin, and it's... Now it's a job. Yeah, but it's a career. Yeah, I don't think it's a job. My grandfather had a job. You know, my mom had a job. My dad has some kind of hybrid, but no, this is a career. I'm not unaware of that.
2: Do you have a sense of where you want the career to go?
3: You know, I keep thinking about this this question because when you decide to make something and like put it out into the world it usually comes from a pretty pure place like I have to do this if I don't do it I'm going to feel like a schmuck right okay like best case scenario it goes well if it goes well then it expands and if it expands then maybe you'll get some health care maybe it will become a job maybe you'll have some employees maybe it'll work great, you do the best you can. But then it starts going even better. And then it expands more and more. And and the more it expands, and the more people you hire, and the more healthcare you, you're thinking about, all of a sudden, it's so far away from the original thing that got you into this in the first place.
2: Yeah, you've lost the purity.
3: It, it just changes. And, and, and the goals change and the aims change. And I think, unfortunately, we, we live in the society we do, which is if it's not ascending, it's almost not worth doing. So it's like the question is, what is enough? Can you get to a place that you go, we found enough people to listen to the show that if we stay at this rate, we can live on that. But if the goal is it has to keep growing, and I think in the process of growing, you start making all these kind of editorial concessions. The work usually will suffer. Your standards will dip Mm -hmm. because it's expanded, and you got to do more and, and have less time to do it. This whole ramble is I'm trying to figure out, like, what is enough for us? Like, does Talk Easy have to be as big as WTF? One, I don't even know if that's possible. But two, I wouldn't want to do the work that he does. Like, I don't want to make that kind of show. And if I had to make a show that's like that to get as big as that, then I don't want to fucking do it. Because I don't believe in that.
2: I don't believe in that work. But what if it wasn't that the show had to change. I mean, part of the basic like technology here is that you could make the same exact show, and many, many, many more people could listen to it without you having to do anything.
3: Absolutely. And if and if we can stay true to the standards we've set, and to the like intentions that we we got into this with, while of course still leaving room for like growth and evolution, and th- that's all fine. Then I'm in. But I, I think that's the big question. I've seen this over and over with friends, some of which we share, where they get so far down the line and they don't even know what the fuck they're doing. It, like, it's, not, it's not a question of making art anymore. It's a question of like we got office space to fill. Yeah. And if I wanted to do that, then I, I could have gone and done that. But I'm I'm trying to make something that I still believe in every week. And so far, I do. And that's enough. For now. But, you know, I'm also 28
2: and don't have kids. Yeah. What I heard you talking about was essentially money and the business and trying to grow the amount of money that the show makes. Because the show now is, like, is itself a little business. Not even little. It's a business.
3: yeah. Uh, Yeah.
2: I wonder if there is also a question about what is enough... In the art.
3: Yes. And the answer is, if we get to the end of a taping, that goes really well. Like, we just did this live show uh, in Brooklyn with Min Jin Lee. If you saw me after that taping, you would have thought I would taken, like, ten edibles. <laughs> and you would have thought, like, what drugs... Is he on? Yeah. The lightness in which I moved, the like clarity of mind, the gratitude, the like love of being alive in this moment, in this strange fucked up city. I wouldn't have had it any other way. And so long as I can get to that point, then this is worth doing. But the moment like the drug stops hitting, uh huh. Then, yeah, I, you know, I have to go find something else.
2: You're in such a nice place. In life or? Like, no, like with the work. Oh. Like, as you've said about 15 times, you're 28. I think I only said it once and I not That's I'm, not true.
3: Really? No. Oh, okay. You wouldn't remember anyway, but
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you said it a bunch of times, dude. <laughs> All right. No, what no. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I like this. Well, I think being able to think about that question of what is enough when you're 28, being able to think about that now, you've got a show that's working, people listen to it, getting paid to do it. You somehow can book almost anyone you want. (laughs) We cannot. I'll show you the list of (laughs) no's. It's so long. And to be thinking now about that question of, what do i really need mm. versus what do i think i want versus what am i going to kind of walk blindly into yes only to realize that i'm uh making sure like the water cooler in the kitchen is filled in the office and that feels rare man it feels rare to be able to be thinking about that in the moment that you're in and so i really want you to hold on to that for like as long as you can be doing that work to think about those three things and being intentional about it. Like I think a lot of people in the spot that you're in just naturally for like very human reasons. Don't do that. Mm. And think about a graph that like only goes up and to the right. And to be thinking about where the like, Plot of the graph is yes, yes. That is enough now. Mm-hmm. Damn, as a virtue.
3: You know, when you were asking me, five years, ten years, what? I think uh, people really care about like legacy and posterity, and I, I don't at all. To me, it's like, I'm in the moment here with you in this hot box chamber <laughs> without weed. Well, there's weed in you, yeah, but, but with not, weed, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wanna believe in the thing I'm doing right now. I don't wanna believe in it tomorrow, but like, what I'm leaving behind, I'm not thinking about that. I only care about, am I proud of it in this moment? And if people will listen later on, great. But those questions you're, you're, you're throwing back at me, I have been asking those since I was 21, before that. Those are always the questions, but they're tethered to like really enjoying and embracing the, the moment, like really enjoying being alive. I don't know if that makes sense, but like I enjoy the time here as I'm passing through. I don't want to make concessions where I don't have to. And I want to stay true to the thing that, like, got me into this in the first place, which is I really love people. I do. And that's why the show, I think, works. I love them when they're fucked up. I love them when they're victorious. I love them when they're a little narcissistic. I love them when they're insecure. And the show, I hope, I pray, like, when people listen... There's no judgment on my part. Like I'm making fun of you for the weed thing, but how many times have I said, I, I don't care. I love it. Like I, I have love for you. And so like that to me is enough to sustain the show. And I hope it continues to sustain the show. And the moment doesn't, you know, I'll do something else.
2: I told you you love him.
3: Yeah. Max Linsky, a pleasure.
2: You don't get to end it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, Dad. Thank you for doing this, Sam. It was an honor. I'm so sorry those weed chocolates.
3: You know, you no. Know, next time I'll take them.
2: Okay, deal, deal. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Our editor this week, who had a, let's just say, unique task in the history of the show was Gabriella Saldivia. Thanks so much, Gabriella, for everything that you put into this week's episode. Susan Pearson handled the show notes. Thanks to her. Thanks to everyone at Vox with whom we make this show. Thanks, of course, to Sam. His podcast is called Talk Easy. It's from Pushkin. You can find it wherever you're listening to Longform. And I gotta tell you, you are going to enjoy these interviews. No one is more prepared Sam is for these talks you're going to get something out of it and also kind of goes without saying but man was he game for a pretty weird situation I feel very very grateful that if this had to happen it was with Sam finally I just want to thank my dad for many things but mostly that he has promised that if he ever feels that way again even if it's in the middle of the night he's going to give me a call okay we'll see you next week
0: Normally, you'd get a two-week free trial, but listeners of Longform get a whole month free. Go to listening.com slash longform or use code longform at checkout. Listening. Your life just got a lot easier.
1: Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it.